Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Enhance your cheese board with Peter's Yard sourdough crackers this Christmas. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Episode 2. Geography of cheese. A look at how cheese is shaped by the place in which it's made. Rupert Linton of Brindisa takes us on a journey to Spain. Alison Elliott of the Ham and Cheese Company shares insights on Italy's cheese landscape. And Andy Swinsco of the Courtyard Dairy talks about cheese and place in Britain, a subject close to his heart. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Enhance your cheese board with Peter's Yard sourdough crackers this Christmas. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. So this morning on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me today Rupert Linton of Brindisa. Brindisa have imported Spanish food, high-end Spanish food, into Britain for decades now and done a huge amount to spread knowledge of Spanish food. And Rupert is their cheese specialist. Good morning, Rupert. Good morning, Jenny. Rupert, thank you for taking time to talk to us. This episode of A Slice of Cheese, where I'm exploring a subject I think is rather fascinating, which is the idea of the geography of cheese, how the landscape of countries and places shapes the cheese that are made there. And given your incredible knowledge of Spanish cheese and your enthusiasm for it, I thought it'd be wonderful for you to take us on a journey in a way through through the Spanish cheese geography. <laughs> and so I, mean, I thought perhaps we could start yes, big yes. picture, perhaps set the scene in, in broad strokes, and then perhaps we'll hone in on some particular cheeses that have got you know, a very fascinating relationship with the geography. Well, I suppose if you think about Spain as, uh, um, and, it, and its geography, basically the geography determines uh, which, which dairy animals will thrive in that particular ecosystem. So if you imagine like the, the northern strip of Spain that runs along the just south of the Bay of Biscay, it's a, it's a wet, you know, it's called green Spain and has a very similar climate to say to, to Cornwall or somewhere like that. And so that part of Spain is, is where the majority of cows are and the majority of cow's milk cheeses. So right. um, that the, the, the ecosystem there like determines that it's it's a 
suitable for cows and those cheeses. If you when you go further south, like over the Pico de Europa mountains and head south into the the, the plains in, in central Spain, that's the zone where most of the different sheep are, the different breeds of sheep making oh. the different, uh, like the classic, you know, the Manchegos, the Zamorano, mm. the Castellano cheeses, and yeah. and the Torta cheeses are, all, are also a, a sheep's milk cheese. As you approach the Mediterranean, again, the climate gets gets uh, drier and rockier. Uh, it's more suitable for, for goats, goat's milk cheese. And and so, what are some um, examples of those? A cow's milk cheese from the north of Spain, like one of the really well-known ones would be Cabrales, which is made up uh-huh. in, the, in the mountains of Picos de Europa. That's got a very... Let's unpick that a little bit more, because isn't that... Is that the cheese that is matured? You mentioned the mountains. They've, is, is that the cheese that's yes. matured in the cave? Is that right? It is, yes. So so the, the Cabrales is... Um, it's, well, it's, it's made in, in the dairy, and um, for the first couple of weeks, it's allowed to... Um, it's inoculated by the Roqueforti bacteria, which just occur naturally in the air, in the environment of the Cabrera. Right. That's so interesting. So they don't, put, they don't put, you know, lots of people making blue cheese, put that in, put that culture into the milk, but they don't need to then. It's, in, it's around them. Well, they don't need to. I mean, some da- there's quite a few dairies there, so some may um, mm-hmm. add Roqueforti, but the ones that I visited, they use a natural method um mm. basically they have the the windows open and they just allow the air to flow <laughs> through the cheese room and until it, go, until it goes blue <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah once it starts to blue then they move it into the into the caves and so some dairies will have like they, they own their own caves or will have inherited their own their own caves and uh other dairies use communal caves so like oh. every every cheese smoker in the village will there'll be like the village cave Everybody gets assigned some some shelving where they, uh, where, they uh, where they age the cheese. And one of the requirements, which I really love, one of the requirements for a Cabrillas cheese cave is that it has a, a stream running through it. Gosh, because that's a very vivid thing, isn't it? And what does that? So that's keeping what moisture in the air for the cheese, then? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, they're very they're they're humid because it's a, a, a limestone landscape. So a whole area. It's got some of the deepest caves in Europe, and Gosh. Uh, so. Um, the whole area is kind of riddled with phenomenal caves. That's interesting, isn't it? Because in Britain, our, our limestone caves are things like, you know, it's where smugglers kept things. But in Spain, they're keeping blue cheese. <laughs> so, yeah. well, in these ones, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm sure the, the smugglers have been there in, 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 in their time as well. Yes. I'm sure. Oh, that's a very sort of um, evocative image. Have you, so have you visited some of the caves? Are, are, are you people allowed, you know, are you allowed to go... And see, see the cheese. Ah, oh, yes. Chewing. Yeah. No, I went to, to a communal cave in the village of Sotres, and, uh, which was fascinating, really. Um, there was, when you go in, you have to wear a head torch wow. because there's no um, electricity. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and then they have, well, it's, it's, it's a cave, it's kind of slippery and, and wet. And yeah. then there's the wooden shelving just on, on either side as you go down into the, in, through the crevices. With the cheeses, um, I mean, the, the ones that we're receiving at the moment are about four months old when, mm. when they've left the cave. But for us, that's a little bit young. Normally, we're receiving them at about, at about six months. So right. for a blue cheese, you know, that's, that's quite, uh, quite a long time. It is, it is. And, for, for the and, European blue cheeses. Yes. And does, it, do they, does that give a, do you get a lot of bluing then because of this sort of long, long time in that atmosphere? Yes. I mean, bluing, it's kind of, um, I mean, it doesn't look like blue tag, 
but it is you know, it's definitely <laughs> blue. And um, but what happens as the as the cheese ages is that the the texture gets creamier and creamier, and that's one of the uh, the aspects of the cheese that that, uh, that um, people really appreciate. Yes, good. We've gone up the mountains. Take us to another part of Spain where there's a cheese that has a very uh-huh. close link to the landscape. Well, but one of the ones that I thought about was that there's a cheese from Andalusia, like again from a mountain range, but right at the other end of Spain, like right up, you know, on the Mediterranean coast. And uh, there's a, a, a cheese there called payoyo, which is made with the the goat, the milk of the payoyo goat. Uh-huh. And um, and and there they've almost got the the opposite problem because I thought it was quite interesting because they've got you could say too much terroir going on, <laughs> and so um, so this particular dairy they their milk comes from about thirty different like tiny herds of, of goats, and those goats are those the goat farms are located at different altitudes up and up up the mountains. And so um, the cheesemaker has got no idea about um, what the goats have eaten that day because they've all eaten oh. like different, they're all on different altitudes, they've all been yeah. in different ecosystems, had different, a different diet. And he was saying that he found it hard to make the same cheese twice because it kept on, the milk kept on tasting completely different. And so in the end, he pasteurizes. I mean, he's, he's totally keen on raw milk and all that philosophy. He says if he doesn't pasteurise his his milk, he can't make the same cheese twice. Wow, that's really uh, interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's a real sense of the the milk is, you know, yeah, that, you know, depending on what the the, the livestock have eaten, that milk is going to be different. That's quite fascinating. Yeah, because the thing is, because they're goats that are are, uh, wild, they're pasturing out in the wilderness. So they're not, they're not goats which are raised in a barn where you can control their diet and, and, uh, and guarantee the quality of the milk. These are goats that are out and about, kind of helping themselves. Goats are famously independent, aren't they? Like, as a char- as characters, so, yes. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Yes, yes. It must be fascinating for your work, Rupert, because so you so you visit Spain. So you've much you must have get such a a feeling as you travel round when you look and see the landscape that you're driving through or travelling through. That of how well, yes, I mean you must literally see these these things that you're describing to us and that the sense yeah. of how the place impacts on the cheese. It's one of my my kind of projects, in a way, um, is to is to walk in these environments. Mm. And uh, a couple of years ago, I walked from from south of France, uh, uh, from like from north to south, over the Pyrenees, and then in October, and then I arrived at the end of my walk in in a a cheese festival in a village where they they have the Fila de San Irmingol. It's a, it's a small uh, provincial town in the, in the Catalan Pyrenees called La Seu d'Urgel, which is like has its kind of Romanesque cathedral. Yeah, but that gosh. that walk over the over the mountains took me through the uh, the high mountain pastures where the where the cows uh, feed, and oh. I just like the idea of like of, of walking in the landscape and understanding it in a kind of you know um, a really experiential. Way. Yes, you're right. I mean, of course, walking is the. I mean, because then you know you see everything. You you feel you hear the birds and you see the plants and you and you feel the weather. <laughs> so and yes, you, and, you, and the weather, and you walk through the the herds of, of cattle as they yes as they kind of move up and down the mountain. And that's interesting. So this long, so this sort of sense of 
these, you know, these three different dairy animals in Spain, the, the goat, the sheep, the cow, were they, do they, uh, do they sort of, have they coexisted for a long time or the, these traditions of cheese making? Or I just wonder if someone more ancient, you know, was there a tradition of, you know, was it sort of goats or sheep well, first? Or are some cheeses older in Spanish history? I think there's quite a lot of uh, regional politics speech. involved in that question. <laughs> That's a very tactful answer. Of, yes. A lot, a lot of areas like to claim, you know, the oldest record of cheese making. And, you know, for some people it's like, you know, we found these stone vessels from the Bronze Age that look like they could have been used for cheese making. And so people think that, that you know, making cheese in Spain has, has been going on for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, wonderful. there's yeah. the the book by, there's a Roman author who wrote about agriculture called Columella. He describes cheese making and wrapping the cheeses in fig leaves and, and um, that they were, the cheeses were exported to, um, to Rome in, in Gosh, the Romans, yes, they brought in all the good things from around their empire, didn't they? <laughs> Just sort of, yes. Yes, yeah, yes yeah. quite sensibly. Yeah. And yeah. we should talk about yeah. the tradition of, of island cheeses too, because Spain, yes, they're not oh, just, well, not yes. just uh, the mainland, is it? The islands have their cheeses yeah. as well. Well, it, 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 it's kind of like an answer to your question as well about, about you know, the origins of the, of the different um, varieties, whether it's of the species of animals mm -hmm. that, that make cheese. And so if you think about the Canary Islands, the, 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 well, the original inhabitants, Inhabitants of the Canary Islands were, were conquered in the Middle Ages by, by, by Spain, by the mainland. And uh, the Spanish colonists brought their, their goats and their sheep with them and, and uh, introduced them to the islands. But so over the years, because some of the islands have got quite a harsh climate, so not all of those goats and sheep would have survived. So over the years, there's been this process of natural selection of like new animals being imported into, into the Canaries, but only some of them surviving. Right. Gradually, uh, 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 a kind of uh, um, a rare breed has, has developed. There's a, a, a Canary Island sheep, a Canary wow. Island goat, and there's a, a Fuerteventura goat or Majorero goat as well. So, so Gosh, as, they, as they adapt to their environment, they kind yes. of develop into, into new rare breeds. And these and they're used for these rare breeds are used for, for cheese making. Their milk is used. Yes, in the Canaries. Um, I mean, the Canaries because of the ecosystem. Because basically, it's a massive volcano, so it starts at sea level and then goes, you know, where it's kind of dry and desert-like, and then it goes up to a couple of thousand meters, where at the top it's kind of misty and, and foresty. Mm. So with these different um, ecosystems, they're able to make a really wide range of, of cheeses. Incredible. And, uh, so with some of our, well, so some of the really small dairies that still exist in, in Gran Canaria, they still um, move their flocks of sheep uh, um, through the year. So they'll have a grazing area in, in the winter at, at sea level, just like just back from the beaches. And then in the spring, they'll take the, their herds halfway up the mountain to, to their village. Mm -hmm. And in the summer, they'll move the herds again higher up into the, into the, higher, the higher pastures. And, to get, uh, I was asking the same question, sort of on the quest of feed, you know, past, well then pasturage for the for the goats then, for the animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for these this particular dairy is most is mostly sheep. So what's interesting for them is that throughout the year also they'll make three different kinds of cheese. So in the oh, winter time they they'll make a cheese called Flor de Guía, which is a, a a soft torta style cheese made with uh, thistle rennet. So mm -hmm. you get those kind of like strong artichokey flavors and, yes, and, and creamy cheeses. textures yes. and then yeah. when the weather warms up because being able to make a torta depends on 
kind of cold temperatures and high humidity. And as the weather change, it changes and it comes to spring, then they do what they call media flood, which is a half flower, where they use half animal rennet and half um, uh, thistle rennet. And that, right. that makes like a, a firm, like a semi-cured cheese. And then in the summer, they'll make their cheese only with animal rennet. And those, those cheeses will be matured for eating at Christmas. That's brilliant, isn't it? So, that's, so you sort of seasonality and place, you know, linking so closely. Tell us about some of the other individual cheeses we've put up. Perhaps cheeses that we wouldn't... I mean, I think lots of people have heard of Manchego. I, I think that probably is the, the, the sort of famous Spanish cheese that people have heard of. But it's such a rich cheese scene. Every time I've talked to you, I've been so struck by, by the range and variety. Well, there's the, the, the Mahon cheese which um, is one of my favourites. And uh, I was thinking the, the Mahon is also quite an interesting example of, of, of terroir and of, of different dairies because we buy our, our Mahon from a, an affineur in, in, in Menorca. And he gets his cheeses from about 10 to 15 different dairies. And so what he does as, as an affineur is he matches his customers to, to, ah. to a particular dairy. So we, yeah. get, we receive our cheese from one, from one dairy and he's got other customers and they like it stronger or they like it creamier and younger and so he, he matches so even though Menorca is just one island and you'd think the terroir would be you know it would be you know the same everywhere yes. but with the the, the the different cheese making techniques in each of these tiny farms because these farms will make you know 10 or 20 cheeses a day Gosh. and um, so they're really handmade and then there's a difference you know from 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 the dairy where it's located and how the um, each cheesemaker makes their makes their particular cheese wonderful and what's what is the style that you you like then what's what's the cheese style that you look for in your the cheeses you get from this affineur ah well we we get quite a young cheese really our ones arrive when they're two months old two and a half months old so they're quite uh moist i'd say mm -hmm. and like full of like really fresh aromas one of the peculiarities of menorcan cheese is when you smell the rind sometimes the rind smells of, of peaches that's that lovely of, a kind of fruity aroma to yeah. it because although it's not a washed rind cheese it's got quite a lot of salt in it that's just i think that's just part of the traditional recipe for yeah. an island that never used refrigeration it does now oh yes used to use refrigeration so like yeah. a lot of salt makes it last longer Sure. But, so you get those kind of like orangey blooms on the rind. Yeah. And then also they then they rub the rind in olive oil and paprika, which makes it even obviously even more orange. And then you get these these interesting aromas developing. That's so interesting. So even on this, so when you sort of dig deep, you know, it's this idea that it is a fascinating idea that when you eat a piece of cheese, you know, that's made, let's say, on on a on a farm, and you know with the, you know, and ripened there and so many factors from, from that particular place have gone into making that cheese. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? In Spain, yeah. in the world of cheesemaking, is there pride in that sense of place? And I've, I lived in Italy a long time and so, I, and the you know, originality is so important in Italy. Is, is that the same in, in Spain? Very much so. I think uh, in, the, in the last uh, few years, really the the appreciation of artisan cheese in spain is is just flourishing there's you know there's more festivals there's cheese events there's you know when i went to the the fiesta of, of trujillo in in may which is a, a, an amazing cheese festival you know there's like tens of thousands of people come along to taste the cheese it's like it's absolutely heaving 
And um, so yes, they definitely. And and what's interesting is in the Feria de Trujillo, which is in Extremadura, all the cheeses there are from that region. Right. But if you go to the Fila de San Ismengol, which is in the Pyrenees, like they don't have any Extremaduran cheeses at all. All their cheeses are from um, the Pyrenees, and, yeah. and only with one with only one French dairy. All the rest of them were Spanish and Catalan Basque uh, cheesemakers. So it's a real and, celebration uh, of local local cheese then and yeah, yes yeah, yeah. Really and, and just the number of dairies is is you know there's enough dairies to, to fill a festival basically you know with that's local, fantastic with local isn't cheese. it and thinking mm. of cheese and place in a sort of slightly different way and obviously brindis as i mentioned have done so much to sort of introduce spanish foods i think to you know because i've known about brindis for a long time for decades um well, yeah and and have you see, are you seeing rupert an interest in in the, in the UK, in your in UK customers, in Spain's rich uh, sort of and varied cheese tradition. Yes, I do. Sometimes when I'm in the market in uh, in, in Borough, um, people who come to buy cheese, they're often um, really quite knowledgeable. Sometimes okay. because they, they've gone on on a walking holiday, or uh, you know, they always that they travelled across Spain. They 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 went kind of overland through the middle. And uh, and they always have some kind of recollection of a, an amazing cheese they found in a village in ah, a nice. region of yes. Spain. So yes, yeah, people are, people are interested. Yeah, and also with borough markets. I mean, it's not just British people. I mean, of course. I, I remember serving one customer from Alaska who was like desperately looking for Cabrales because um, <laughs> it's very hard to, to locate in his part of the world. Yes. and so, so yeah. people come from far and wide for, for, for that's a very good point. Unusual Spanish cheeses. Yeah, how wonderful. You know, London is so rich in that sense. It's such a sort of varied... I'm always saying, you know, for food shops, you know, and food shopping, shops and markets, obviously, thinking of Borough. Um, yes. You know, London has this rich a richness to it, you know, which actually is well worth celebrating and exploring. So, oh, well, Rupert, that was a wonderful... That sort of, I've been sitting at my desk, but I feel quite transported. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> no, been, thank you. It's been lovely. So, all right, thank yeah. you very much, Rupert. Take care then. Bye-bye. OK, thank you. Bye-bye then. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. This week on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me today Alison Elliott of the Ham and Cheese Company. Good morning, Alison. Hello, Jenny. Nice to talk to you. Yes, always nice to talk to you, Alison. I always learn so much. And Alison, you're the Ham and Cheese Company, as its name suggests. You import wonderful cheese and charcuterie from Italy and bring it back to London. Your work involves a lot of travelling. And for this episode of A Slice of Cheese, we're, we're sort of exploring the idea of cheese in place, cheese in geography, the old geography of cheese. And I was really interested to get your insights into someone who, you know, who goes to Italy, travels around it, buys cheese. You must see, in a way, how, how place shapes the cheeses that are the, the Italian cheese landscape in a way I suppose. We do and we um, we were in Italy last week in the south traveling around Campania and Basilicata and had a, and had a lovely time chatting uh, to people there just about how um, traditions of cheese making have come about, uh, how much they are linked of course, to the geography, because like everything in Italy, it's also regional. Mm. And so, you know, it's so linked to the climate, to the animal, to the geography. And um, and so we, I, I mean, we at the start, we, we travelled um, into the wilderness of Basilicata, but actually we flew into Naples. And so we started off by visiting our uh, mozzarella supplier. And um, and that, that mozzarella is is 
buffalo mozzarella is very much linked to the geography of that area because they really, those buffalo really found their home on the two river plains to the north and south of Naples. They, I mean, they, they arrived, buffalo arrived in, people think that they probably came um, to Sicily. They were brought to Sicily by the, by the Moors in uh-huh. the ninth century. But then they, um, the first actually, the first written reference to um, buffalo cheese is actually comes from Campania. It's in the 16th oh. century. So obviously they had made their way from Sicily yes. further north. And then they found that the, the river Sele, which is the, on, that has a plain to the south of Naples, it's a big river plain. It was a big, a wet, marshy plain. And that would have been perfect for these water buffalo because they... Right. They're big animals. They need uh, the fer- fertile plains, and they they like they need water. And then to, so and to the north of Naples, you have the plain of the River Volturno. So they they lived um, happily there, and uh, they by the 18th century, cheeses made from buffalo milk from those buffaloes were mm. were very widespread around there. It, it's a wonderful, rich, check. rich milk, isn't it? You're quite right. It's so different from cow's milk. It has that lovely, it's delicately savoury, slightly sour. It just has a more complex flavour, mm. and it's the and, and it's the perfect cheese for. It's quite a, so it's quite a big cheese. It uses quite a lot of milk to to make these these big balls of mozzarella, and it's perfect because down there because it's hot, obviously, and you but it needs no refrigeration for quite a while buffalo mozzarella is always unusual we the what we bring over they put on the bags you know, to keep it refrigerated because they know that we're going to be keeping it for longer but actually when you're in campania you never you're always told never put your mozzarella in the fridge <laughs> because they're and they're really particular about it they will eat it all within three to four days and uh, the cold of a fridge will totally change the the texture of the, yeah. of the cheese and, and make it um firmer and so they will always eat it fresh and Wonderful. not having been in the fridge so this so it would keep well enough just to be kept in ambient temp wow what a treat yeah. Okay, you've made me hungry. Right, carry on. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, that it was interesting that uh, so Mussolini in the he had those marsh, marshy plains around those rivers drained as part of because they were malarial, and so right. they were drained in the in the late nineteen twenties. But the animals stayed, and it and after the Second World War, production it became more in more intensive. But no, it, the, buffaloes can't they can't thrive. You know, they can't really be intensively farmed. You can't remove their the massive horns that they have. You, they, mm. they, you can't remove them. Like, and so they, and they're never going to be bred to, they will never produce the same quantities of milk as a Frisian. They, they, they can't, they produce about 20, up to 20 litres a day, 15 to, to 20 right. litres a day. But that's, um, yeah, they, they, they're, they're perfect. That is, that's the, the perfect place for them. But and we then drove from Campania into Basilicata, and the, so many people don't know um, southern Italy. And I would encourage everybody to go on holiday there because it's so wild. You have uh, lots of wonderful national parks: the Lucano, the Sila, the Polino, and they're really wild and really beautiful. And they are they're mountainous, and so they're not. You couldn't. You can't have buffalo there but then they are replaced 
by um, sheep, goats, oh. and um, and then the famous che- cheese making cow of the south is the Podolica cow. I don't know if you've ever. I've seen... never heard of it. No, tell me about it. Okay, it's um, they're beautiful, grey, big, big grey cattle, uh, and they they produce. They were they were um, widespread across Italy, uh, and then. In kind of the 19th century, they started to breed. Um, they imported cattle from elsewhere. They bred the, 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 the breeds that we know the names of nowadays, so the Chianina, the Romagnola, um, the Marchigiana. But then in the south, in the lost, forgotten south, they, they, the Podolica remained, and it's the perfect cow for those wild mountain um, oh. areas. Because, and it's really, they've done a lot, a lot of research, and in fact, genetically, it is actually linked. It has links to the oryx. Wow. So the, of course, the ancient, that, yes, which went to, the I mean, that's, I, mean, yeah. I saw they, um, they had a Stonehenge exhibition at the Museum and I saw an oryx skull, which was just with these incredible horns and this most amazing, powerful shape, really. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So these, yeah. these are hardy enough then to, they can cope with mountains then, can they, with this hilly, this hilly terrain? They can cope with them. Yeah, they are, so they're in the south, your pasture is sparse, water is scarce, survival is, is really difficult, but they 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 can survive it and so mm. and they traditionally have been uh reared there with together with sheep so you will have these farms Podolica are brilliant because they can they can keep down the vegetation that allow sheep to to graze as well so they will farmers will have um yeah. a herd of Podolica and then a herd of sheep making pecorino and the Podolica who produce amazing milk Again, high in fat and protein, but they have a very low yield. Uh, but they are um, their cheese. Then the famous cheese from the south of Italy uh, is Cacciacavallo, and oh. that is um, they're all linked. So on the in Campania, in the plain by the coast, you have the fresh mozzarella. But then, as you go into the mountains, where you need to preserve cheese, you have you have Cacciacavallo. Provola, Scamorza. So they are all this same style um, uh, of stretched cheese, but the, they'll be more or less aged then. What to give and them so they got a longer, so they'll keep for longer. better then. Tell us a little bit about yeah. stretch curd, because you just touched on it there, which is a very specific sort of family of cheese, isn't it? So you could just tell us a little bit about how yeah. that family, what, what does that term mean? Uh, in, I mean, I think in, in again, kind of geographically, you needed to have because you had lot of these mountains, uh, where, so you've had a long, long history of trans the transhumans, so moving cattle and sheep mm. uh, seasonally from high pastures in the mountains to lower down when it gets too cold in the winter, they'd have to go go further down to warmer pastures, and so you stretch curds cheeses came about. The, the thing about a stretch curd cheese is you need a lot of skill to make them, but you don't need any equipment. So to make ah. the um, to make them, the curds are you cut the curds as you do with uh, regular cheese, but then you leave them a, a, a little while to develop a, a bit of acidity. You bathe them in hot water and. That makes them elastic and you can stretch them. So they use mm. these amazing wooden um, sticks to, to stretch the curd just at the right time. It can't be done 
too soon or the cheeses will be too mushy and if you leave it too if you leave the curds too long then they will the cheeses will be hard and dry but these long shiny fibers of curd are formed and they're kneaded into balls of cheese and they can be any shape you you mm. but then once they are once they have been made you can have them they i mean traditionally cacciacavallo is a round cheese with this little head at the top that and the, around which they tie you tie a string and then you can hang them up in pairs along a pole to age and those pairs of cheese the the word cacciacavallo literally means horse cheese and mm. so you can you could string them over uh, a horse they can travel with the with the the shepherds or the people who are making the the transhumans they needed they don't need they, they were very sim- simple cheeses yeah. but they are the perfect perfect for that Yes, portable of, cheeses uh, and you're using the milk. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a vivid, um, that's a wonderful image, yes, and that very distinctive shape that Cacciafuolo has. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's, that's so interesting. So, yes, so I'm getting a real sense of, of, yeah, of place and cheese. Very tied in then, the geography and shaping the animals. That, and this is always the issue, obviously, that, you know, cheese is made from milk, milk comes from livestock. What type of livestock does your where you are allow you to have or what's best suited to where you are I suppose that's always going to be a factor isn't it I mean they don't obviously tradition is things don't change fast in Italy and so even though now we when we were going to dairy we were visiting dairies and they would have they didn't all have podolica cows that they are increasingly rare but still the, the tradition hasn't changed in the north of further north in Emilia, in Parmesan country, you know, you've got these incredible, you know, forty kilo wheels of cheese. But that has in the south, you you still even if you are have got a higher milk yield from these more modern cows that are increasingly raised down in the south, still Cacciacavallo, these small, um, they never weigh more than um, a couple of kilos really. That that there is no tradition of of producing these massive cheese like they like they do further north and and indeed you know heading further um so we have a supplier in sicily and sicily is p- p- perhaps even more that while they're there they make a provola we import a, a provola dei nebrodi and the nebrodi mountains um where you also have this the amazing black pig the nero dei nebrodi but you have these incredible mountain cows in sicily they are not a particular breed they're really small they're mm-hmm. they're they're so small and wiry and they survive incredibly harsh conditions and yeah it's a similar thing so it's even more uh, harsh the conditions in sicily and so you as you you get further south. You, it's just a world away from you, when you fly into, you come to Parma and then you have these you know, <laughs> yes. incredible dairies making making wheels of Parmesan cheese that, that have come about because you're on this big plain of the, the River Po that um, has led to industrial farming um, and agriculture and, and uh, yeah, very different styles of, of cheese making. That must be very, yes, that really comes across. And uh, I mean, that is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, every time I go to three, the, the depth of the originality, it, it always surprises me, you know, and just, it doesn't, you can just travel not for, you know, you can spend an hour on a train and you'll, you'll hit a very different 
food place, you know, and that sense of place. And that must be, you must really enjoy it. That must be one of the perks of your job, Alison, that this travelling around and that excitement of, of perhaps, you know, perhaps going to see, you know, someone who's been recommended to you whom you don't know or, you know, and f- making your way up to, to find someone. There must be all sorts of fascinating encounters when you do something like that. Oh, well, yeah, we're, we're very, it is, it's a lovely job. I, um, we are very lucky. And obviously we get to eat fantastic food. And we had, uh, it was, it's always interesting actually to eat with these people as well, because they are um, introducing us to their products mm. through, through their traditional local recipes. So we had last week, we had, um, well, at the mo- in it's autumn. And so there are pumpkins wherever you look in Italy. So we had fabulous um, pumpkin that had been was sweet and kind of in agrodolce. So slightly pickled with with a bit of sugar. Sour sweet. Yeah. Sour sweet with um, with mozzarella and beautiful grilled scamorza cheeses. So the slightly more aged stretched curd cheese that is grilled and served with wild bitter greens and beautiful very autumnal um but they Mm. use these different cheeses in different ways and and all of them are very delicious wonderful well Anson thank you so much that was a very transporting interview that's made me long to go back to Italy (laughs) so thank you (laughs) take care then thanks very much bye I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers and they always feature on my Christmas cheese board all Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop. Enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Enhance your cheese board with Peter's Yard sourdough crackers this Christmas. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Before we go on exploring the world of cheese, here's news of another Food FM programme that I think you'd really enjoy. Thank you, Jenny. Well, I'm David, the host of The Drinking Hour here on Food FM. Each week we explore the wonderful world of wine, spirits and beer, all things that make wonderful pairings with cheese, of course. We hear from those for whom making drinks is a passion. So after your cheese course, how about you join me for a few drinks? You can find The Drinking Hour with David Kermode on your usual podcast platform and at foodfmradio.com. Now it's back to Jenny and a slice of cheese. For this episode of A Slice of Cheese, I'm exploring the idea of the geography of cheese, how place informs and helps make the cheeses that we enjoy. I'm very happy to have with me today the cheesemonger Andy Swinsco from the Courtyard Dairy in Yorkshire. Hello, Andy. Hi, Jenny. Andy, this is a subject I guess you're pretty really interested in. <laughs> and um, I, was, I wanted to talk to you in a way about British geography and, of course, the climate that is, it goes with where we are and how it's shaped our, the cheeses that we eat in Britain. I, I was really interested to get your your thoughts on that. Is that something that you you've yeah. thought about? It's something I love, how geography then ties into social history and market and everything kind of ties together really nice and neatly. And that's Mm. fundamentally why we get different cheeses. I mean, I know we're looking, but, you know, the north of Europe makes these temperate cheeses that we, you know, the classic cheese bar cheeses because of we have that climate to mature them in thick stonewall barns throughout the summer when it's still quite hot and we have those caves. 
you know, whereas Greece is so hot that they didn't, so that they pickled it in salt, and that's the way it lasted, and that's why you get feta. Yeah, you know, that's in, a brilliant, yes. You know, in Mongolia, they spread it on the top of their, their shacks, and they make, like, this jerky-type cheese so that they can carry it around because they're nomadic. And then, like, in India, they, they developed ghee as their method of preserving milk. So the way we get, because it's so hot, they couldn't make these cheeses that we make over here. They couldn't mature them. So the it's, I find it fascinating how every culture finds its way of preserving milk. And then even within Britain itself, we find different ways because of geography, climate, how far we are away from market, et cetera, et cetera. And what if you think of the sort of historic British cheese scene, are there yeah. cheese, you know, and we often, in fact, we use that phrase territorial, don't we? It's, that is used to describe a whole family of British cheeses. And that, and as the word suggests, it's to do with sort of territories that were known for cheeses. So these are the cheeses like, Cheshire and Lancashire and Wensleydale. Well, tell us about those cheeses, Andy. Yeah, I think it's fascinating how initially how they come about because of the where they are in the world and why we get those cheeses, but then how fast they develop. So, um, I mean, the majority of British cheese is made on the west side of the country, which I'm sure you know, because that is uh, a plentiful land for grass because we get it's wet, lots of growths of grass from that sea see air uh, blowing the, the rain it's kind of mm. rolling so it's perfect for keeping cows so again when you look at geography you're constrained if you wanted to farm in the old-fashioned way when cows are out of pasture the way that they did it in the olden days it was the only way you're yeah. constrained by how far your cows can walk to milk them every day really um and so areas like cheddar and cheshire is kind of plentiful lands flat and rolling so one milking parlor can sustain a lot more cows because the cows don't have to walk that far. So as a result, more cows, bigger cheeses, you know, that will then last mm. longer, that can then go into cities and transport better. Whereas you come to the Yorkshire Dales, it's a lot more challenging. Um, you know, it's a lot more steeper. So we still had some dairying of cows, but at the same time, one milking parlour was supported, supporting probably only 20, 30 cows historically. So as a result, much less milk, much smaller cheeses, didn't really transport out the region as well, didn't keep as well. And then you get a similar thing in Lancashire, and that's why Lancashire, creamy Lancashire, has a completely different recipe. So in Wednesdale, we just made smaller cheeses. But right. in Lancashire, their farms were so small that they, what they did is that they they, they bulked up the curd over several days because milk uh, goes off before refrigeration, yeah. but curd doesn't. Yeah. So they, they would make a bit of curd, but it was too much effort to finish the cheese and it would make too small a cheese. So only start the process. But after three days of starting the process, they'd have enough bits together to make one big cheese. Right. And that's what developed creamy Lancashire. And so you see these cheeses develop over time and then continue to evolve because of the land and what can grow underneath and also how many cows they can keep and how much rain they get. And it's just all so intertwined. And again, how far they are away from market. You know, you're miles away from market. You're going to make a harder, drier cheese. Traditionally yeah. in Yorkshire, we did make soft cheeses, but they were around York and Nottingham did, and they were around Nottingham because they're close to cities. So they made right. these soft cheeses because they could transport them fast into cities. Before they perished, yeah. That's yeah. such a good point, isn't it? And I presume, I mean, and if you think of Cheshire cheese and how that was the cheese of the British Navy, and, you know, and it was, you know, it journeyed around the world, didn't it, as a food. And that's another interesting way of thinking about cheese in place, I suppose, is that, that a hard dry cheese with a, with good keeping qualities becomes this very important f journey food in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think Cheshire cheese is a brilliant one to look at because Cheshire went as kind of Britain's original cheese. Cheshire went as kind of Britain's original cheese that kind of um, ended up in 
you know, it's London's fine, artisan, the, the, the best cheese that could be get, something was as good as Cheshire, then that was the bee's knees, you know. And then, but because that was, because of where they are, it's a land of plenty, Cheshire, you know, it's flat, they get everything in Cheshire. It's, it's, it's you know, if you want to farm, you want to farm in, in that kind of Cheshire <laughs> Shropshire area, if you, yeah. you know. And um, so because of that, they had these big cows, they made these big hard cheeses, which were very successful. But it also meant that when cheese making started to improve, areas like that, and then down into the, the Cheddar region, improved much faster because they had bigger farms and more cheese being made. That was where the, you know, the scientists and the dairy technologies concentrated on. So actually mm. their recipes evolved faster, you know, so That's interesting. Cheshire started no using right. yeah, yeah, bacteria, more bacteria and more heating production earlier than anywhere else and became more efficient earlier than anywhere else because obviously that when they, they were so big, they were the first ones to advance. Whereas right. by the time that knowledge got up to Wensleydale, you know, it was much longer and slower and the farms went bigger. And so they didn't evolve quite as fast and quite as aggressively initially. Um, and so it's really interesting. Not only is it where you are in the world and how far away from market, but also that size of farm because of the plentiful land then ties into, you know, how fast they advance because then industrialization concentrates on those bigger dairy producing areas, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So that, that evolved the Cheshire recipe faster than perhaps Wensleydale. That's fascinating, isn't it? So that's it, a very it, good, good point. And it's really interesting that you still find that everywhere in Britain, kind of that west side from Lancashire down to Cheddar, they all use the same terminology in cheese making because they advanced fast and then the dairy technology spread up. Whereas you get up to Wensleydale and they're still, they still they say things in different ways. You know, they call milling grinding. They call ah. you know they've got different different phrases for the cheese making process, they don't seem to have caught on and they don't seem to use the same terminology that the rest of Britain uses. Um, and I think that's because they stayed more remote and didn't right. advance quite as fast. And because the cheese making was much more small and a farm concern up until really the fifties. And now there's quite a lot of, I mean, it's interesting how places used to sell, you know, to sell cheese as well. And so with cheddar, you know, which is, you know, which is obviously Britain's most famous cheese, and we've got the cheddar gorgias, and so now you can buy cheeses that are that are, you know, matured in the in the cheddar gorge, can't you? And there's a whole, um, you know, an industry in a way um, of of sort of linking, you know. And I suppose it's where it's where we're getting that story across to the consumer, isn't it? Of that there's this place called cheddar. There's this cheese that you know was named after this place, came from this area, and the, and you've got a link to it, and that's quite a patent sort of marketing tool, isn't it? Yeah, I find it incredibly fascinating because obviously those cheeses developed in that region because of the geography, the climate, how far they were away from market. And, that, and that's why you got those styles of cheeses and what that cheese was going to be used for, whether it was traveling around the world or consumed locally. And then those cheeses then broadly became recipes, which then spread. And now, I find, so if you look at, I mean, I obviously have a bit of a focus towards uh, the Dales where we are in Yorkshire. Mm. But up here, when you get more challenging environments it's harder for one grass species to dominate so we're very famous in the dales for traditional hay meadows yorkshire dales hay meadows and that was because we're not flat and rolling and perfect so no grass species can dominate it's not easy to produce just that easy one simple oh. type of grass so that's why you got more diverse flora and fauna historically in those traditional hay meadows in the yorkshire dales which still exist and are protected um so not all of them unfortunately but more and more and and as a result that came through on the cheese but then the cheese, you know, cheeses then become recipes and they become styles and you lose that nature. So we try and work with our farmers like Stonebeck, for example, to try and capture that fall and fall and capture the way it was. And nice. I find it very interesting. It's a, probably a, a whole chat for another episode <laughs> on how we 
put the emphasis on place. So, for example, we put the emphasis on, on Cheddar as the place where Cheddar was from, and that was historically because of the climate and because of the location and because of the geography and because of the farming methods. But actually, those farming methods nowadays, you could argue, are almost exactly the same as Cheshire and Lancashire. And the mm. cheesemaking methods, because they've industrialized and changed, are almost exactly the same. So actually, that's why they became recipes, is it, it became much more about equipment, and farming yes. became much more conventional. Everybody farms the same bit of cow, same bit of grass, you know. And there's yeah. differences in rainfall and subsoils. But actually, when you look at a field between the two counties now, those differences have become much more died out and everywhere seems to be fairly conventional. And it's interesting how the next stage for our San British cheese for me is to kind of look at that. What is terroir? I know we're just saying it's from there because it's from the region. Are you buying lots of food and uh, fairly generic cow breed? Is yes. it just because it's made in the, the right town? You know, and um, and that's a, a real big debate we have in our shop is how do you define a cheese from the place? Because yeah. you can make a cheese in a place, but you can keep your cows indoors and you can bring all the feed to them, you know? And so, or and it can quite. be feed, you know, so it can why? It be quite artificial. I mean, that's right. And it has yeah, to be doesn't, meaningful, it, doesn't it? It, it, it doesn't, can be a very nice label, can't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, sorry, I've gone off on a yeah. tangent. No, because, no, no. I like I love meaning, rants. Yes. You know, no, I'm not meaning to, uh, you know, uh, pick on any type of place, but where do we define history? Where do we define the place? Um, you know, it's a very interesting topic of discussion. But historically, topic. geography yes. was that yeah. key to that, and that's why those cheeses developed in those regions. And then yes. people were using them as marketing tools to this day. But yeah. you could argue that, that that's kind of not Well, in fact, you, and you mentioned Stainberry. I mean, I think what's really interesting, Andy, is that, and again, it's, a, you know, if you think of what happened when you opened your shop in the in, in the sort of, you know, if I'm without being rude, I hope, in the middle of nowhere, in a way, to, for, yeah, in, yeah. Not, not an obvious place for a, you know, for a, for a fine cheese shop to exist. And and you have made this market. And then and then this wonderful thing that around you now are, are raw milk cheese makers because, and the reason they're there is because you're there. You know, what's really fascinating is you've, you know, it's a lovely sort of symbiosis between the fact that if you have a shop that's championing farmhouse cheeses and has found an audience for them then cheese makers on farms can think oh you know there's this shop that i can sell my cheese to and a local shop as well um that's pretty exciting isn't it yeah i think it's great um great little you when you get good businesses they incubate each other don't they and yeah, i think that's exactly. that's really key to um, you see uh, not just us but in other areas and other cheese shops um you see it in like borough market with what neil's yard is done there and then again in the arches and, you know, you kind of see it here, hopefully, you know, we, yeah, one of the things I'm most proud of is that, you know, when we set up, there was no farmhouse producer of Dale's cheese making with raw milk in, in, in Yorkshire, you know, Yorkshire's got 5 million people and uh, Wednesdaydale cheese is as historic as everything. And, and uh, yes. obviously the, the cream in the factory made a fabulous example of that, but the, you know, there was no, we made farmhouse Wednesdaydale for over a thousand years and that died out. And, and, and now we have three back, which is great. And I think that's a success story that we would hopefully like to see repeated in other regions with other cheese shops. And I think, you know, and the great thing is somebody like Stonebeck is really capturing the real nature of, of old fashioned breeds of cows, traditional hay meadows, and really showing what that cheese was. And I think that for me is a really special thing. Well, in fact, that's what's interesting is, you know, that you said, because you work closely with these local cheesemakers and you must get to taste the cheese at the end of the year, do you get that real sense and feel of how, what the animals are eating changes the cheese you actually you actually get to experience that then do you yeah i think that's what yeah again if you're farming like um something like stonebeck with the cows they only make through the spring and the summer when the cows are out of pasture 
um, and feed very little else. So you really get a reflection in which case of what the cows are eating. And, you know, we see that seasonal changes within the cheese, hugely within that um, cheese. And that's really exciting. I think it's something to be kind of, you know, excited about and see as it goes through the seasons. Um, and again, it's, it provides challenges because the cheese is slightly more variable than if you're standardizing consistent milk and from animals that are fairly fed on a consistent diet. But it is at the same time also exciting from a cheesemonger's point of view, providing you can talk to the customers about those type changes. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of the role. I mean, it's interesting if you think of a cheese like Kefili, you know, historic Welsh cheese, and yet, um, which has been, you know, the making of it has been industrialised. And then, so if you want to look for a farmhouse Kefili, you, you now really have to go to Somerset. And the, But there was a tradition, a long tradition of, of the, the cheddar makers in Somerset making Kefili as well because it was a younger cheese that could be sold quicker and there was a big market for Caffini. So that tradition, you know, transplanted itself in a way to a different bit of Britain, which is it's so complex, isn't it, when you start thinking about it? Yeah, exa- exactly. I've, it's really interesting how it all, the history of food is, is so interconnected with what the people could grow and eat and farm traditionally and then how it evolves from there and, and how much rain you had, what grasses we grow. And now it's become fairly conventional, but there's still, you know, big regional variances. You know, uh, most of the farms on here still have 60, 60 cows, which is small by Britain's standards. And that's because of where we are in the world, even the you know, conventional farming techniques. Um, so they still get those regional vari- variances creeping in, definitely. And it's something that you obviously enjoy showcasing in your in your shop, Bandy, then? So that... Oh, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that geography is key to the flavour, you know, and I think there's a reason I like to buy Red Leicester from Sparkin on Farm, you know, there's a reason I like to buy Stitchelton from 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 George Schneider down in Nottinghamshire, you know, because I think that it's if you can tie all those dots together, it really you get the sense of place as well, you know, and that that you know, and, and those cheeses have developed for a reason. That's the other thing whilst we're talking about geography is is also how it ties into market, you know. The fact mm. that Stilton became famous was because of the geography of where it was sold. You know, yeah. if, if if they hadn't stopped on those coaching inns at the Bell Inn, you know, yeah. because of the geography of the, and the way we were transporting people, then nobody yes. would have eaten Stilton and it might have been as famous as Dorset Blue Vinny, you know, which was yes. being yes. made at the same time, you know, in terms of fame. One yeah. of them is worldwide renowned and yeah. one of them is pretty much, well, it has one producer kind of making little bits and pieces. Yes, and yeah, that's so interesting. It, you know, it, it's, it, the geography ties into also those transport routes, and that's because nobody was, no offence to Dorset, but nobody was transporting through Dorset, you yeah, know? And so quite, Stilton's yeah. fame is reliant upon where, where you know, how easy it was connected to the people stood, staying coming from London, you know? Yeah. And I think those, that's, you know, geography, is, it, it's all so interconnected. It's fascinating when you start yes. to stretch away. Well, it's very multifaceted, isn't it, indeed? Mm. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Andy. That's a wonderful insight. Thank you for your time. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, Andy. My pleasure. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Enhance your cheese board with Peter's Yard sourdough crackers this Christmas. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.